As we wind down the year 2020, the biggest story in the news has been the recent rollout of the Pfizer vaccine for COVID-19. Healthcare professionals all across the nation have been posting photos, photos and videos of themselves getting the vaccine, and it's melt with shouts, applause, and even dancing. We've been waiting for this vaccine for nine months, and it's finally here. There's light at the end of the tunnel. 2021 really will be different from all we've just lived through. This picture gives us a glimmer of that. But what if I told you a little bit more to fill out this picture? What if I told you the woman in this picture is Sandra Lindsay, who serves as the Director of Critical Care Nursing in Long Island Jewish Medical Center in Queens, New York. During the first surge in New York from March to May, Ms. Lindsay was responsible for expanding to six ICUs tripling their patient capacity and overseeing all the travel nurses from around the country who'd come to assist them. Watching her eyes glisten with tears as she's vaccinated suddenly takes on new meaning. This is a woman who had many patients enter her unit, but few left. She had seen firsthand the suffering caused by this virus. This picture means much more when we understand all that it represents. The story we're looking at today also gives us a picture of a glimmer of hope. But like this photo, when we look closer at its context, we are able to appreciate its significance so much more. The story we're looking at today may be familiar to you, this week, as we continue in our series, Mary, Blessed Mother of God, we're looking at the story of the wise men, or magi, who travel from a distant country to visit the baby Jesus with his mother Mary, and who bow before him, offering him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Honestly, taken at face value, this story is just weird. It doesn't make sense. A lot of odd things happen at Jesus' birth, but isn't this one a bit extreme? Educated, grown men from a distant land lying prostrate on their faces before a baby? Giving him gifts? What's a baby going to do with these gifts anyway? I want to spend some time looking more closely at what this picture represents. How it actually foreshadows all that is to come. We'll look more closely at three elements of the picture, and then I hope it will not only make sense, I hope we will find that we too want to join in the Magi's response as well. We'll spend time looking at three images depicted in this scene, the wise men, King Herod, and the baby. First, the wise men, or Magi. They weren't kings, most likely, despite the Christmas carols written about them. And there probably weren't three of them. We simply infer that from the number of gifts they bring. Here's what we do know. They are Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish. They are pagans, meaning irreligious. And they are scholars, most likely from Persia, modern-day Iraq, where the best astrologers of the first century lived. These aren't recreational stargazers. This is their expertise. 
They meticulously scanned stars, observed patterns, and noted unusual instances. And whatever they see propels them to embark on a thousand-mile journey in first-century road and transportation conditions to worship this baby. God somehow reveals to them in a way they could understand that life as we know it has changed with the birth of this king. They ask King Herod in Matthew 2, 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star rose and have come to worship him. Now, I have known many grandparents who would drive hundreds of miles to see their new grandbaby. Some of you this year have driven thousands of miles to hold those little babies in your arms because flying was out of the question for some new parents. Grandparents making a road trip to see a baby, definitely. But strangers? And not just to admire, but to adore, to bow before, verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Jesus, anywhere from birth to two years old now, is with Mary. And I picture someone saying as the entourage arrives, uh, Mary, there's someone at the door. We don't know Mary's response in this moment. Was she surprised? Or had she come to expect this? Of course there's someone at the door. First the angel Gabriel, then cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, then the shepherds, then Simeon and Anna. Who's next? But I don't know that even she could have prepared for who was next. Because these wise men are the last people you'd expect to come bowing. The word literally is lying prostrate before Jesus. They are the last people you'd expect to even know about his birth to begin with. Gentile pagans? Isn't this a king for Jewish religious people? Foreigners? Dabblers in the dark arts? Any kind of sorcery and divination was explicitly forbidden for the people of Israel. How'd they even get the birth announcement? They're at the bottom of the news chain. They don't even know to look in Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem because it's the capital city of Jewish people. That's as good a place as any to look for a king. And here's where this aspect of the scene takes on deeper meaning. The fact that grown, educated, non-religious people of color are at this birth says something about this baby. It says something about our God. Our God wants all people to come to know him. Right from the start, we are given a picture of God who invites people far away with no religious background to come find him. Even the least likely. God wants to draw all people to himself. This shouldn't be surprising. Last week, holding that little baby in his arms, Simeon saying, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight for all nations, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. This was never meant to be an exclusive club. From God's perspective, the door has always been wide open for everyone to get in on this. It's the church that's been consistently reticent to come around. 
Do you know anyone far from God? Do you know anyone who has experienced something inexplicable, a star of sorts, causing them to embark on a journey seeking God? This scene serves as a powerful reminder right from the beginning. The table is wide open. In fact, this table is not complete without this kind of diversity. You usher them right in. The second element I want to focus on is King Herod. Every story needs a villain, and we have a good baddie in him. The verses hint Herod is up to no good. He's calling secret meetings and interrogating the Magi about, Magi about exact dates. He doesn't want to give any credibility to their claims, so he plays it cool, sending them on a reconnaissance mission to report back to him the coordinates of the target. But the Magi don't return. They are divinely directed again, this time by a dream, to avoid Herod and take the longer, more circuitous route home. Immediately afterwards, we read in Matthew 2.16, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with the time he'd learned from a Magi. Then what was said through the prophet was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the part of the Christmas story that never gets told. It's too horrid. Now, given what we know about Herod the Great from history, this isn't surprising. He was known in the ancient world for his insecurity and his ruthless paranoia, especially by those he feared threatened his power. A lot of people in his inner circle wound up dead, from his political opponents to his own children. But a baby in small-town Bethlehem born to an unwed teenage mother, that's what threatens Herod the Great? The ironic thing is, Herod isn't being paranoid here. He does have reason to fear. Herod was installed by Rome as the king of the Jews. But another king has just been born. The angel told Mary when he announced Jesus' birth in Luke 1.32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And this scene is a mere foreshadowing of what is to come. The evil villain is thwarted. King Herod is outsmarted by the one born king of the Jews. The one ruling with his iron fist is bested by a chubby fist. He's just a baby, but somehow he still outmaneuvers Herod's attempts at killing him. And while it is just a glimpse of it, this scene foreshadows the day when this king will finally take his place in his rightful kingdom. And when he does, when this king grows up and ushers in his kingdom fully, he will not rule by fear or threat or deceit or violence. He will rule with righteousness and justice and mercy and love. And all evil kings will be thwarted.
all evil leaders will be toppled. Mary sang this in her Magnificat. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. People often cut out the slaughter of the innocent babies because it's just so horrible. It's not the image you want on a Christmas card. It's not good for business. But I think this is one of the most important parts of the Christmas story. Because it tells the truth about the world we live in. Where evil rulers harm others. And innocent people get caught in the wake of their decisions. And you and I hear the sound of deep mourning and wailing if we would just listen. And when we hear the cries of those suffering, and maybe those include your own this year, we can remember the evil king gets outwitted. Evil rulers do not have the last word. Instead, good things come in small packages. Verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means the least of the rulers, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So let's focus on him as the third and final element of this story, baby Jesus. There is just something about babies, isn't there? Babies pretty much of any species are adorable. Take Grogu from the Mandalorian series. Who knew a baby Yoda-like species would be so cute? I mean, think of Yoda. Now baby Yoda. Human babies always inspire. They are always miraculous. We marvel at how this little bundle was formed, how complicated and intricate they are. I often repeat what I heard a dear woman in Vancouver years ago say when a family welcomes a new child into their home. Hold and behold. So much gift. So much wonder. How much more the wonder of this child. Not just any old miraculous human being, but the living God, creator of the universe, wrapping himself in sinew and chromosome, contained in just a few pounds of flesh and blood, humbling himself, limiting himself to a human body. As the early saint Chromatius observed, a boy he is, but it is God who is adored. He is literally God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, mystery of all mysteries. Why? So he could show us what God is really like. How can you know someone you can't see? Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God has made him known. Jesus looks like his Father, not Joseph but the living God, the creator of this world and of you and I. Every story recorded about him gives a picture of what God is like. Watch him touch and heal the leper. See him look the prostitute in the eye. Bless the children. Forgive the tax collector. Welcome the marginalized. Challenge the skeptic. Engage the seeker. Teach and model how to live well. But Jesus wasn't only a lesson to show and tell what God is like. He also came to sacrifice his life for us. 
First Peter 2.24 puts it like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He had to be a human body to stand in the place of all human bodies. He had to bear the weight of all sin and suffering and death in his humanity so that all humanity might be saved through him. Those who put their trust in this baby will also know life after death. I don't know exactly how much was revealed to the Magi that first Christmas, but somehow they know enough. They know enough to expend significant time, energy, effort, and even treasure to plod over deserts, climb mountains, and search for this boy king, this baby God with us. And when they find him, they're overjoyed, and they bow before him and worship and present him with gifts fit for a king. Do you see what this all adds up to? Yes, a vaccine is on the horizon. Thanks be to God. God bless the scientists and others who have been and are working hard to develop and distribute it. A new day is coming. But let's be honest. We had problems before COVID, didn't we? There are some things this vaccine, as good as it is, will not solve. The health diagnosis you were dreading. The broken relationship in the family. The vindictiveness of an ex-spouse. The crushing weight of financial debt. The daily grind and isolation of living alone. The deep wounds of racism. The partisan divide in our nation. The loneliness and emptiness experienced by so many. Some people have just lost a loved one to COVID-19. What good is a vaccine for them? Friends, it isn't this particular picture of the Magi bowing down before the baby that offers real hope. It's what this picture points to. It's what this picture is intimating, foreshadowing for us. And the Magi get it. Somehow, by God's grace, their eyes are opened and they can see that once this baby comes, the rest is history. The trajectory is set. It's as good as done. God's great plan for redeeming hu human creation, for establishing shalom, for ushering in his kingdom of goodness, justice, and righteousness is underway, and there's nothing that can stop it. Or as John 1, 5 puts it, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. Just as Jesus once came into a dark world, where evil kings and innocent people suffer in their wake. Jesus Christ will come again. And that time, he will usher in his kingdom fully. Revelation 22, no longer will there be any curse. There will be no more night. There will, they will not need the light of the sun for the sun, S-O-N, the Lord God himself will give them light. I, Jesus, am the bright morning star. When Jesus comes again and the king is on his throne, exercising his reign all across this land, Revelation 21.4 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, in that day, even death will die. And all around the throne, people will flock in from every tongue and tribe and nation. Justice will be served. Evil kings causing suffering will be dealt with. They'll not be permitted to rule. Instead, in their place, a king who rules with justice and mercy will reign. A king who sheds his innocent blood for others' behalf. So yes, bow before the king, Magi. Bow before him. Not just for who he was when he came that first Christmas, or for who he was when he died for us here lies Jesus, King of the Jews, was the sign above his head on the cross. But for who he will be when he comes again, for the kind of kingdom he will usher in, where anybody can find him, where evil kings are removed from power, where the innocent are protected, where darkness is obliterated, where the power of death is undone. Yes, worship him, Magi. This king, this baby, this ruler, this shepherd, this bright morning star, join the angelic song, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's the image this scene hints at and that I hope will make this picture all the more meaningful to you. Let's pray. Our world's pretty dark. The end of 2020, Lord. We remember today that because you came that first Christmas, you will come again. And oh, how we long for that day. Cultivate in us a longing and a yearning for that shalom, for your kingdom that we are faithful in the meantime as we wait. Make us agents of your light, of your kingdom, drawing people to see you as you really are, that they too may fall down and worship you. In the strong and beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.